Lord, we need a mercy from you. Oh, 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 Good evening, everyone. Happy Wednesday to you. I pray that you are healthy, that you're safe, that all is well. I am looking forward to tonight's experience. How are you guys feeling? I'm glad that you are in now the virtual building. Go ahead and make yourself comfortable. We're going to have a good time tonight. I wonder how many of you guys were here with us last night as Pastor Laurent Grosvenor brought the word of God. We had a great time in worship. And tonight, I believe God is going to take us higher. I'm not going to waste any time. Go ahead and press that share button, y'all. We need to make sure that this world knows that this is happening right here at the QR2 Prophecy Edition. God is moving. And we want you to get the word out. So go ahead and press the share button right now. And I want to shout out a couple of people. I appreciate you guys for coming through. Thank you for coming through all the way from Virginia. We appreciate you. Thank you for being in the virtual house. We have Miss Parchment all the way from the UK. We appreciate you for coming through. Uh, we got somebody, oh, from Maryland. We got somebody from Huntsville. We thank all of you guys for coming through and we celebrate your presence tonight. Listen, I didn't come alone. You all know that I always try to bring somebody with me. And I got someone who I think you guys are going to remember and appreciate. He brings that energy, that effervescence. He has that contagious spirit. Tonight, we have a co-host by, by the name, Pastor. There he is. Van Dion Griffin's in the house. How's it going, sir? <laughs> and I am fully loaded. Let's do it, baby. <laughs> let's, let's go. I'm glad that you're here, man, worshiping with us. How is everything going on in the neck of your, in the neck, in your neck of the woods? Goodness gracious. Man, man, we're holding it down here on the East Coast, man. America is opening up. They've moved mm. to phase two. And as they are opening up, the cases are going up. So, oh, no. And I don't know if it's a good thing or whatever, man, but I'm, I'm going to be obedient, man, and stay my hips right in the house, man. So, Thank uh, you. Good. We're holding on, baby. We're holding on. Good. Good. Why don't we go ahead and take a moment real quick to just emphasize that point. Listen, y'all, I know that it seems like the restrictions are being, you know, loosened up in your neck of the woods. But listen, we want you to be safe. Don't go out there thinking that this thing is a hoax. I want you guys to be sure that you're listening to these experts and I need you to be safe. Follow Pastor Vandyon Griffin's lead. He's saying, look, I'm not going to risk my life unnecessarily. I, yeah. I'm going to stay in the house. And look, all yeah. of you essential workers, again, we celebrate you and we appreciate you do. for doing what you do. Now, Pastor Griffin, are you ready to hear the word of God tonight? 
Let's do it. Hey, listen, man. I am so geeked. I mean, let's get it done. I mean, let's do it in epic proportion. Let's not hold back. Let's just uh -oh. give it everything. I, I sense a release tonight, and oh, I, my I'm Lord. To get it tonight. And I know everybody who is watching is ready to receive the word. So, might I add my uh, commentary and say, hit the share button. Let do that it. button friend tonight minister to the share button i think that's what we need to do that's we what we need to do share button let let that be your evangelist for tonight hit that share yeah. button and let the word get out man it's about to be a release lord i see some folk from bermuda in here man you know bermuda's always coming through wrecking the house and i know yeah. you guys know very well uh pastor mike kelly so i know y'all are here ready to receive the word i got some what is that is that jamaica I, look we got flags <laughs> flying all over the comment section and we're not gonna waste any time tonight y'all i want you guys to know that you have been so faithful pastor griffin these folk who tuned in and worshiped with us thus far, look, we are midway through the third week. Number one, God has been good to us. And we say yes, thank yes. you for tuning in. But listen, these folk did not come just to receive a word. They've been partnering with us, Pastor Griffin, by pouring in. They've been sowing their seeds. And I want Dr. Doggett to come in here because I want to go ahead and make sure that he knows what's going on as well. Dr. Doggett, where's the sense? Oh, sensei. Sensei. Good to see you, sir. <laughs> Good to see you, Sensei. Oh, hey, you got Pastor Baby Al Griffin in the house tonight. It's going to be live. live. Oh, Lord. Yeah, baby. He brings the energy. Live. You work for GC, though. You work for the NAD, so you better be NAD. calm. NAD. 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 <laughs> <laughs> he had to clarify. Listen, I want you guys to know, Pastor Doggett, Pastor Griffin, that we have partnered with these uh, amazing worshipers who've been tuning in from night to night. And we were today able to, we, we made an appeal last night. Hey, we got somebody, a young lady just had a baby in Dallas, Texas, and she's struggling in this season of her life. And we said, we want to help those in financial crisis. And guess what happened? Because of their generosity, because of your faithfulness, because of your sincerity and not just coming to receive, but also coming to give, we were able to send her a thousand dollars this morning to bless her in the transition that she is currently going. Listen, we got to, let's celebrate, man. Y'all are working. Y'all are doing it. At this point, I, I want you guys to know we're close. We're close to crossing the $10,000 mark in financial blessing that we've been able to give out to those who are struggling because of the faithfulness of all of you who've come to worship. And God has been good. There is never been a time when people need the assistance and help of others more than now. And I am a living witness that when you invest in the lives of others, God invests in yours. What you put out there comes right back to you. So it's nothing lost when you give to those who are in need. Praise God for those who believe yes, in giving and giving cheerfully. Amen. Dr. Doggett, now you are our sensei, and we provide the opportunity each night for you to share in a moderation moment. Um, whatever God has put on your heart, we're in this prophecy series. And, and I want to know, do you have anything that you wanted to say to the people as we're moving forward in our program tonight? The floor is yours. Yeah, just a couple of lines. Uh, right. Stay with me. Stay with me. See, you're leaving. You're leaving. Stay right there with me because I'm not going to be long at all. There he is. He's back. I'm not going to be long at all. I just remember these words. Um, I listened intently to the sermons of Martin Luther King Jr. And they were sermons. They weren't just speeches because he was delivering biblical truth. And I think about what we're going through now. You all are familiar with some of the latest tragedies that have happened where black people are being treated like less than human. 
LL Cool J said that we've got a righteous beef, a righteous beef. And you know, when he said that, it resonated with me because the Bible talks about the love of many waxing uh, cold. You know, iniquity will abound and you'll treat people like less than human. We discovered today that that gentleman who got shot, who was in his car asleep when it all started, the gentleman who got shot in the back, mm-hmm. after they shot him, one of them stood on his shoulder and the other actually kicked him, a great big kick while he wasn't even alive, treated him like he was less than human. We got to remember this, though. Here's where we find hope. I find hope in Jesus, and I find hope in the prophecies of his word. He warned us that this time was coming, but those who endure to the end will be saved. Here's a word of hope. comes from Dr. King's uh, sermon. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Here's what I saw. With these marches and protests, it's catching fire across the globe. Evil in America is looking like evil, even to people across the globe. When I saw 4,500 people in Hamburg, Germany, of all places, get out there in front of the consulate of the United States and protest the evils that are going on here, the way our people are being treated, I said, you know what? There are a lot of people who have a spark of good in them. And if we can just demonstrate the truth of God in the midst of trial, and we can yes, hold sir. up and not get fatigued. You know, you mentioned, Pastor Griffin, that there are people who are getting fatigued now, even with the COVID virus, as though it's gone somewhere. If we can just not get fatigued with our protests and with keeping our eyes on the prize so that we can see meaningful change, then we're going to see a change come. Those who endure to the end will be saved. Let's not get tired now. Let's join in with the world and let's make sure that moral art bends toward justice. And let's get up on top of it and bend it down to make sure everybody has a chance. That's all I got to say tonight. Good word. Good word. We received that. I felt something sparking in Sensei, man. I, I, felt, I felt that he, re- he really wanted to go a little further, man. But, but yeah. I feel that sparking. Something crawling up my spine right now. But we got a preacher in the house that we got to release and let him go. He's got to get all of his time. I want to hear this Amen. preacher tonight. Absolutely. Amen. Well, how about this? We're not going to waste any time. Pastor Griffin, if you don't mind, I'm going to let the people know how they can give. After which, I want you to introduce our speaker for the night. And then we're going to go right into our song of meditation and preparation. And then we're going to hear the word. So let me go ahead and remind all of you who desire to pour in. If you want to sow your seed, you can do it through Cash App. You can send it to the money sign, the Q Revival. Again, that's the money sign, the Q Revival. Or if you got PayPal, you can use that as well. PayPal.me forward slash the Q Revival. Again, PayPal.me forward slash the Q Revival. Screenshot this and you can have it and you don't even need this from me anymore. Even if you don't have Cash App or PayPal, you have the opportunity to go to the website, www.thequrevival.com, and you can use your card, debit card, credit card. And let me remind you, 100% of what you give, 100% of what you give is going to be going to people who are struggling right now in this season of financial crisis. So you're helping others during this time. So partner with us, and those are your, are your opportunities to give. Pastor Griffin, who do we have in the virtual house prepared to preach a word tonight? In the virtual house for the quarantine revival, part two is none other than Pastor Michael B. That B stands for Bruce Kelly who is going to share the word of the Lord tonight. Pastor Kelly um, is just an amazing man of God, 
Uh, one of the things that I, I, I laugh with him about constantly is that uh, he claims Oakwood as part of his uh, uh, educational experience. Uh, but I, I laugh because, I mean, he only hung out with us at Oakwood for maybe two weeks at the most. And then he made his trek on over to Washington Adventist University, where the Lord blessed him, used him mightily um, to serve uh, with Elder Henry Wright at the CPC Church there in Alexandria, Virginia. And upon completing his uh, time at Washington Adventist University, he matriculated on over to Andrews University of Seventh-day Adventists to the seminary there. And uh, the Lord blessed him to finish his uh, seminary experience and start his pastoral career, um, having start in uh, a little place in Colorado uh, where the Lord used him in a mighty way. And uh, then uh, on to Lincoln, Nebraska. And from Lincoln, Nebraska, the Lord um, called him to his current assignment at the Mount Rubido Seventh-day Adventist Church. And uh, he is charting brand new territory uh, among the younger generation of pastors, having been at Mount Rubido now, Mount Rubido for 10 years now. And uh, I was so elated to be one of the ones asked to be in attendance uh, of this august celebration of 10 years of ministry there at Mount Rubido, known all over, not just North America, but the world. And we thank God for his ministry um, and the gift that he is to the body of Christ. He has two amazing daughters, my nieces, I love them, Gianna and Genesis. I mean, they are the new Mary Mary. You got to hear those girls sing, man. I mean, they are a blessing to the body of Christ. They lead praise and worship on a regular basis at Mount Rubido. And tonight we are going to be blessed to hear this word from the man of God with power, authority, and conviction. Do me a favor. Don't get relaxed. Fall in love with that share button and hit it right now so folk can hear the word of the Lord. After we've heard this song of selection, then the next voice you will hear is that of my boy, my friend, my brother, Pastor Michael Bruce Kelly. Hear ye him. From the inside of me, set me on fire. From the inside, yes, from the inside of me. Come on, let's sing it together. From the inside.
At this time, we're ready to receive the word. Pastor Mike Kelly, we want to invite you into the virtual building. We thank you for coming. The floor is now yours. Man, man, man. Thank you so much you know, for the opportunity uh, to be able to come in here and just be able to uh, just be a vessel to be used. I want to give a, you know, first, before I say a few more of my other platitudes to my boy, my main man, uh, Pastor Van Dion Griffin. Uh, that is my dude from day one. Uh, you know, I, I remember when we, when I first walked on to Andrew's campus and he saw me, uh, he was like, yo, I, I don't remember you in Oakwood. So he was like, what's this black man doing up here in seminary? And I know, I, I know everybody because Van Dion knows everybody. Uh, and so he's like, what year did you go to Oakwood? But dude, it did not matter. Um, we became best friends immediately. Uh, it had been for, man, just about 20, you know, about 20 years now. So, yeah. Yeah. um, dude, I love you, man. Uh, you know, love you to death. You're so excited. I was happy to see that you were here. Um, and yes, thanks sir. for not telling too much of my business on the introduction, man, but we love you. Love you. Love you. Um, uh, listen, uh, and JD, thank you for the, the opportunity to come, man, and to be able to, uh, really be able to. Just pour in, man. I, I just want to affirm you uh, in everything that it is that you're doing, um, particularly with this revival. I mean, it's real easy to just kind of sit on the sidelines and just kind of let this thing happen. Uh, but I appreciate the intentionality and for the invite to be able to trust me uh, just with this opportunity, um, particularly dealing with prophecy. Um, you know, that, that's what we excel in. Uh, but y'all know when you ask me, I'm going to give you something different uh, in the sense of just looking at this thing from the word of God, maybe from uh, just a little bit of a different angle with the times that we're living in and everything that's taking place. Um, a lot of sermons and different things are being preached and taught about the end. Uh, and unfortunately, I'm going to use this word, unfortunately, uh, I believe that some of them have really been taken out of context and it produced more fear than it has love. And, and we try to get people uh, with the fear of what's happening around to surrender to Christ and, and fear will never get somebody to be able to surrender over to Christ. And what we're really going to learn today is that these fear tactics and things like that are really just another tactic of the beast. And that's what we really want to talk about today um, is this idea of the mark of the beast. Um, so, you know, we're we, we going to get into it. And yes, people in California uh, understand the book of Revelation. Uh, and we are going to, uh, we're going to break that down. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the book of Revelation. Uh, not Revelations. It's revelation. It's one revelation, and it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, and um, that's what we're going to be, uh, you know, really dealing with today. But Revelation chapter fourteen, and I want to look at uh, chapter fourteen, verses nine and ten. Revelation fourteen, verses nine and ten. I've got a couple notes and quotes that I'm going to be reading throughout. So if you see me looking over to the, to the left, which might be your right, uh, just know there's a few things I got to read. You see all this gray hair? I can't remember everything uh, anymore. Uh, you know, Pastor Doggy, he's the one, uh, you know, who, who's able to do all that, man. You you staying young, bro. You staying young, Pastor. You staying young. We love you. Uh, but Revelation 14, uh, starting at verse 9. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or in his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So if you're praising God's help uh, for the quarantine revival, I'm not sure what part we're in. We've had so many incredible speakers, but I just simply want to preach uh, under the subject uh, more than a mark, more than a mark. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, thank you for technology. 
We pray that you would have it hold up so that we can lift you up. And as people hear from you, not from me, but specifically from you, um, I just ask God that you would please, please just pour into us in such a way that by the time we're done, that we will be closer and more confident in you than we were before. As I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, what, what, what's so interesting, again, uh, about the times that, that we're living in it, it is I've heard and get a chance to talk to so many different people. And, and everybody now in some time or another or phrase in another is talking about the end times. Like any time that we see uh, the Pope, any time that we see uh, Trump maybe hold the Bible a certain way or he takes a picture in front of the Pope, you know, we, we kind of lose our minds a little bit and we start talking about the last days and the end times. And, and to be quite honest, we've been talking about last days and end times for a while. Can you imagine living in World War II during that time or World War I, all of these different kinds of things. But, but we, we, we talk about this idea of Daniel and Revelation. And to be quite honest, from my talk with different individuals, sometimes the way that we approach it and the way that we pour into people it is a way that we're sometimes afraid to truly deal with this book because of the way that we have actually approached it. And people, when they hear about it, they're a little nervous and they get a little scared. But I just want to use this, this thought uh, to let us know that we ought not be concerned about all these different kinds of things that we see around us. And here's what I mean by that. Um, one of the persons, a father in ministry uh, and out of the ministry is Pastor Mark Woodson. Uh, he and I are both diehard Laker fans. Um, uh, we, we, we actually believe that COVID might be some kind of government conspiracy because the Lakers were about to win the title this year. And so they were about, they tried to shut it all down because, you know, that's just how we roll. Uh, and so I remember Victory 2000, Crusade for Christ. Our greatest hindrance to attendance was the Lakers championship run. As a matter of fact, one of the nights of the meeting was game seven uh, against Portland. And I'm not even going to sit here in front. We did not start the meeting until the game was over. Like everybody was in the parking lot because uh, that was the last tent that, that, that we did just waiting to see how the Lakers were going to you know, pull this thing out. But Mark does something very interesting. What Mark does is he records uh, the games. And I record the games, too. I would record them. But here's the difference between Mark and myself. Um, I don't want to know what the score is. Like, I don't want to know who won the game because I want to be able to take my tape, you know, at that time we were recording on VHSs or on the uh, DVR, and I want to be able to watch the game with fresh eyes and brand new and get excited. But Mark is a little different. Mark will still record the game. But what Mark is going to do is he's going to see who won the game before he watches it. And if the Lakers lose, Mark just erases it and he doesn't watch it. The only time he'll watch the game that he's recording is if he knows the Lakers have won. And so I remember one time we were watching this, this game together, and, and I'm sitting here watching what's taking place on the screen, and, and I've never – I don't know who's won this game, but Mark knows it. So I'm sitting here, uh, you, know, you know, losing my mind because uh, the Lakers are down by, like, 15 in the third quarter, but Mark is just sitting on the couch chilling because he knows who won the game. Uh, we get to the fourth quarter. There's about 10 seconds left. Lakers down by one. Shaq is on the free throw line. I'm losing my mind because I'm like, Shaq, free throw line, clutch free throws, that's not going to happen. But Mark is chilling because he knows who won the game. And so after this particular game, I said, Mark, I said, I don't get it. Why is it that you are watching these games already knowing who won? And so what Mark looked at me, he said, oh, man. He said, I don't watch the game to see if the Lakers are going to win. He said, I watch the game because I just want to see how they pull this one out. 
And y'all, I just want to let you know that as we see all of this that is happening in the world today, we don't need to trip because we already know who won the game. Like, we already know what the final score is yeah. going to be. We already know how we this game is going to end. And so yeah. I don't go through life trying to figure out whether or not God is going to get me through. I just want to see how he's going to pull me through this time. I don't see if God is going to get us through COVID. I just want to see how he's going to get us through COVID. I don't want to see if God is going to get me through unemployment. I just want to see how God is going to get me through unemployment. I don't want to see if God is going to get me through my situation. I just want to see how he is going to work in my life to pull me out. So we don't go through this life trying to figure out if God is going to or if he's going to be victorious. But we go through this life saying we just know that this is God. He is going to get us through. Now I'm just going to sit back and see how you're going to get me out this time. We know who won the game. And so in the midst of COVID and in the midst of all of these things that are taking place around us, we just need to watch and see and live how God is going to navigate us through because the word tells us clearly that he is going to win this game. And that's why revelation is not scary. That's why talking about last day stuff ought not have any fear because God lets us know that we are victorious. We will stand on the sea of glass. We will sit on the throne with Jesus because we already know who wins this game. And so right here, as we get into the book of Revelation, we ought to approach it with confidence. We ought to approach what's happening in this world with a confidence to say, Jesus, I know you got it. I just want to see how you get me through. So what's interesting in this, um, in this part, particular text is prior to in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 8, the Bible says this, another angel, a second one, followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Now, it's so interesting that this angel speaks of Babylon, and it says it twice, fallen, fallen. And that is what is called uh, in, the, in, in the Greek a prophetic perfect. It's called a prophetic perfect. In other words, in the Hebrew mind, when they would use a word twice and that it was in the past tense, they would speak of, in any kind of form of prophecy, an event that would take place in the future as if it had already taken place in the past. In other words, the prophecy was so certain to them that even though it had not taken place, they would speak about it as if it already did take place. But maybe y'all not feeling that, so let me help y'all out a little bit. Uh, so some of you guys watched the, uh, the, the Last Dance, and so the story that I'm about to tell, uh, you know, Mike would make some stuff up. Even though this story wasn't in The Last Dance, I read it, but we don't know if Mike made this thing up. Uh, but, but anyway, there was this one particular individual who it got back to Mike was talking trash about how he could guard Mike, how he could check Mike, not that he could drop uh, you know, double figures on Mike, but he's like, I can lock him down. Mike can't do anything on me like that. So Mike gets wind of this and they get ready to uh, jump the ball. And you know how you just kind of, you know, get ready, you sit and you're ready to go before the ball gets, uh, gets thrown up for the jump. And Mike just whip whispers to him, I dropped 45 on you. And the dudes just kind of look at him like, what do you mean you dropped 45 on me? The game hasn't even started yet. So he tells him, he's like, man, the game hasn't started yet. What do you mean you dropped 45? And he says, it doesn't need to have already, it doesn't need to have already happened in order for me to know that it's going to happen. And so what happens is the ball goes up, it jumps, and Mike just starts to work that brother. He starts to work him left and right, first quarter, second quarter, third, fourth. And Mike was on his way to 50. But what Mike did is he stopped at 45 just to ensure that his prophecy would be true. And what I'd like to suggest to a lot of us 
in our lives is that we need to start to speak in our lives in the prophetic perfect. We need to speak over the things that are not as if they were. We need to look at the jobs that we are looking for in our lives and declare that I will have this in the name of Jesus. We as black people need to look at the freedoms that we know are afforded us and speak those things that are not as if they were. We need to look at the broken marriage that you think is about to fall apart, but speak a prophetic perfect over that thing and letting people know that it is going to take place because if God has given you that word, you need to speak over that word as if it is and then watch how God takes your faith. Watch how God takes your words that you have spoken in faith in him and through him and allows that thing to become tangible in your life. And so as he says, Babylon is fallen. It has not fallen yet, but they are speaking about it as if it has, because when God's word is spoken, even if it hasn't taken place yet, we can look at it as if it has. And I think a lot of us in our lives need a prophetic perfect in our lives. And what are the prophetic perfects that you need to speak into your life and speak into your existence that are connected with the will and the power of God? So this angel, of course, declares that, 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 that Babylon has fallen, is fallen, this, 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 great, this great city. And then he transitions into that text uh, that a lot of us love to preach and that we've talked about that I just want to see, have a see from just another perspective tonight. Um, but what it does is he speaks about th th this idea of this mark. But in order to understand the mark, I think we need to understand a little bit about this concept of Babylon before we get to this idea of the mark. Here's the thing that we need to know about Babylon. Babylon is a religious political power opposing God. I need y'all to hear this. It is a religious political power that, ex that opposes God and oppresses his people. So it doesn't just oppose God, but it also oppresses his people. Now I want you to put a pin in that. It doesn't just oppose God, but it oppresses his people. Now remember in Genesis, what begins to take place, Genesis 11, uh, one through nine, the building of the Tower of Babel, where the people got together and here's what they did. They implemented a system that would oppose God and eventually oppress people. They put together a system that would oppose God and that would eventually begin to oppress people. And so here's the thing. It's a system, and the system has with it ideologies, the system has with it philosophies, and the system has with it theologies that come into place. And so a lot of us, when we talk about this idea of Babylon, we use these kinds of words because this is what the Bible says, and we have this misunderstanding. Come out of her, my people, right? That's what we want. Come out, because we don't want to be in Babylon. As a matter of fact, we call first-day churches Babylon. We call people who don't believe in the Sabbath Babylon. And we tell people to come out of that. And so the concept and sometimes the idea is that if we're in the right denomination, right, then we are outside of Babylon. If we're not worshiping maybe on Sunday. We're outside of Babylon. But I want you to notice something that the Bible says in Revelation 18, verses 1 through 3. I want you to go there with me. Revelation 18, 1 through 3. Y'all forgive me. I don't know how to preach without the Bible. But here's what it says. And after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and every unclean and hateful bird. And here's the key, verse 3. Here's the key, verse 3. Revelation 18, verses 1 through 3. Here's our key. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. 
and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. All the nations have drunk of the wine of her passion. Remember, the Bible even talks about uh, us being uh, drunk, as it were, with these ideas and, and philosophies and thoughts of Babylon. But here's the thing that's interesting. We talk about Babylon as a place, but it's described that we have been drunk with stuff from Babylon. And I got to tell you, th there was a time when I was out with my boys, and I'm not, I'm not a drinker. Um, this is when I was in, in college, I think. I think it was my first year, my last year of high school. And, and we were out there like, Mike, you got to have something, man. You got to have something. And I said, all right, let me, you know, let, let, let me get a chance. Let me, let, let me try a little bit. So I, I popped a little bit back, and that's when I found out that not only do I hate the taste of alcohol, uh, but number two, I cannot hold my liquor worth nothing. I mean, they were laughing at me. I mean, I was tipsy. I was, I, I was, just, I was just gone because there was something that had gotten inside of me. And because it got inside of me, it started to mess up the way I was thinking. My equilibrium, the room was spinning. Even when I sat down, it was spinning. When I stood up, it was spinning. And I mean, I was just feeling all kinds of ways because I let something inside of me. Now, here's what was interesting. Where we were, I was like, y'all, take me home. Get me out of here. And so what they did is they got me in the car. They said, Mike, my bad. And they started to take me home. But here's the thing that was crazy. When I got home, the room was still spinning. When I got home, I was still sick because the problem wasn't where I was. The problem was what was inside of me. And because it was inside of me, regardless of where I was, it was going to have an effect on me. And here is the biggest problem that we have when it comes, I think, sometimes to our church, that every single time that we think about Babylon as a place, we always think that we're safe because we're not in that place. But Babylon is not a place, but it is something, it is principles and ideologies and philosophies and theologies that get inside of us. And so there are a lot of us who are in the right place, but have the wrong mind. There are a lot of us who are worshiping on the right day, but we don't have the right God. There are a lot of us who are in right places and, and experiencing right teachings, but the things that are inside of us are not the things of God. They are the things of Babylon. But because we have taught so much that Babylon is something that we do not go to, sometimes we don't go to those places, but the principles and the philosophies and ideologies of those places are in us. And that means no matter what church you're in, no matter what denomination you're in, if Babylon is in you, that's the problem. And that's what I'm finding our issue is. That Babylon and the principles of Babylon, and that's what the Bible's trying to tell us, is that here's our issue, that, that, that we are drunk with stuff. Some of us are in the house and we're drunk with Babylonian stuff. Some of us are, are in the, the, the seven-day Adventist house and got all this truth and all this knowledge, but we're still drunk with Babylon. And that's the thing I need to understand. That Babylon is not simply a place, but Babylon is a teaching, it's a mentality, put a pin in this, it's an ideology, it's a philosophy that can infiltrate us. Because the devil has no issue if you are in a certain place as long as he is inside you, as long as he is inside you. So the third angel comes on the scene and when that third angel comes on the scene in, in, in Revelation, uh, you know, 13, 14, tells us about this warning about this beast and the mark that we're going to have. Uh, but, but, but this warning is aimed at a specific group of people. And I want to look at Revelation 13, verses 15 through 17, if I haven't just lost you yet. Here's what the Bible says. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast 
so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hands or on their forehead. So the big question that comes up so many times with a lot of us is what exactly is, you know, like this mark of the beast? And I know a lot, again, what we've been taught, I just want to give you a different angle for you to look at that. Um, to be quite honest, when, when we were coming up, and y'all tell the truth and shame the devil, when debit cards came out, y'all were scared because you were like, man, that's the mark of the beast. I don't know. They're going to they, they trace me. Um, you know, when we would, uh, when 2000 came out, y'all remember, y'all were thinking all different kinds of stuff, right? What was going to happen? But a lot of us, anytime something new technological comes out, you know, something on our iPhones or whatever, like a lot of us are thinking that's the mark of the beast. That's the way to track us and, and do all that kind of stuff. And I think the more that we think that way, it's the more that we, we miss out on really what it is that God is trying to tell us to do. And the devil loves that because then he sneaks his stuff in. Uh, and this is what we're going to talk about a little bit today. So to look at the idea of the mark of the beast, we have to ask the question, why does John use this imagery? Like, why does he use the imagery of a mark of a beast? And why does he specifically say in your hands and also in your forehead? So I want to go to Exodus 13, 9. This is not proof texting here. This is actually just adding context to this particular pericope that we're looking at uh, in Revelation. So I want you to go to the book of Exodus and chapter 13. And I actually want to read one verse, uh, verse 9, uh, Exodus 13 and verse 9. Uh, actually, let me jump up to verse 8 so we can get just a little bit of context. Uh, Exodus 13 and verse 8. You shall tell your son on that day, saying, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall serve as a sign to you, watch this, on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a powerful hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. So what Moses right here uh, in Exodus 13 is really referring to is, is what is called in the Hebrew this daily habit of binding the teflin, the teflin, excuse me, the teflin. What the teflin is are two small black boxes with black straps that are attached to them. And Jewish men were required uh, to place a box on their hand and tie the other on their arm each weekday morning. And so the biblical, the teflin, excuse me, uh, are biblical in origin. And what they are is they're commanded within the context of several laws outlining a Jew's, here's the key, relationship to God. A relationship in this way, because remember what was bound. It was bound somewhere to their head, and it was also bound to their hand. Because here is what the teflin would symbolize. In your head, where is your allegiance to? Who are you in relationship with? And then your hand, because where your head is, your actions should follow. You see, the Hebrews did not believe in what we know as cognitive dissonance where we would act one way, but think another. And so the teflin was to simply say, if my allegiance is to God, it's symbolized by what I'm doing in my mind, relationship with him. And what's in my mind should reflect in my actions. I'm gonna say that one more time. What's in my mind ought to reflect in my actions. I gotta pause here. This isn't in my notes, but I'm gonna give this to y'all for free just real quick. Here's the problem. What's taking place sometimes in society today, us as a Christian last day, uh, church as we claim to be. We've got a lot of things that we like to claim are in our minds about the word of God, 
We've got a lot of things that we're saying about how God cares for us and and and, and last day living and and, and and being able to care for different people. But it is a front to God and it is cognitive dissonance when we can say that in our minds, but not be out there protesting for social justice. It's one thing to be able to say that we believe in a just God, but then our actions just have us sitting there silent. It's one thing for our GC to be able to claim that we're a last day church with God's last day message in our minds, but not in our actions, carrying it out to a group of people that are disproportionately dying from all different kinds of health issues. We cannot claim to have all of this in our mind, the Teflin in our mind, but not carry it out in our hands because the allegiance to God is not just what we say. It's not just having the message. It's not just having the right words or the right theology or the right understanding. It's taking all of that and showing it in the way that we live our lives and the way that we do church. And that's why, y'all, I'm telling you, COVID-19 unfortunately exposed a lot of us in church for who we are, people who don't know what to do without a building. Because in a building, we can just sit and have our minds stimulated. But now that we're outside of a building, we've got to do something with our hands. And the Teflin says, if you are a follower of God, you won't just have the right intellectual truth, but you'll actually do something about it. And that's the problem, I think, sometimes with us as people, particularly in these last days. We think last day teaching and last day living is simply about preaching last day stuff. It's not. It's getting involved in the things in the people's lives. Let me tell you this real quick. I'm going to get back to my notes because uh, I got 17% left on my battery. I don't want to drain that. I told JD I'm only going to be short today. But, 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 but here's the thing. In Exodus chapter 6, Moses is getting a word from God to give to the people. I need y'all to hear me. In Exodus 6, he gets a word from God to give to the people, to go to Pharaoh, to say, hey, look, I'm going to set y'all free. It's going to be all good. And you remember what God tells Moses. He says, I will be a God to you. You will be a God rabbit to them, and Aaron will be your prophet. But the Bible says this in Exodus 6, that as Moses was telling these words, the people could not hear him because of the cruelty and despondency that they were under. In other words, it was hard for them to hear the word of truth when they were being oppressed. It was hard for them to hear Daniel in Revelation while they were being killed by police officers. It is hard for them to hear about the second coming of Jesus Christ when right now the blacks are leading in every category of death except suicide. It is hard for them to hear about the soon coming king and a loving savior when the average net worth of a black family is $17,000 before one of our white brothers and sisters is $171,000. We've got to deal with the cruelty and despondency, and then they'll be able to clearly hear the word. And when they see us dealing with cruelty and despondency, they'll see that what we believe lines up with what we do. Now, y'all forgive me. Y'all forgive me. I, that, that, that's just not in the notes, but I saw it there, and I just had to go there. I'm going to get back to our regularly scheduled program, and we're going to land uh, this thing pretty soon. Um, but Revelation 13, Revelation 13, the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth they're uniting together, and they want to carry out a very specific plan. And remember what Revelation really is actually all about. Revelation actually boils down to one question. Who will get your worship? That's really all Revelation is about. Revelation is about one thing and one thing only. You're going to worship God or you're going to worship the beast. In the end time, that's the two categories of people. People who are following God and people who are following the beast. And so both of these individuals, God and the beast, are after us. Like, they, they want us. They want our worship. 
one thing, the beast is going to try and force it out of you. God is going to try and love on you. And that's the difference there between the two. But the sea beast of Revelation 13 that we have is this religious system. And that's the only time I don't have time to get into the political system. I want to talk about the religious system because I think that's, that, that's important. The sea beast in Revelation 13 is a religious system. We know that it's a religious system because this beast is actually after worship. But to be sure that it is a system, um, there's some characteristics of this particular system. I want to read something to you just the way I wrote it. To be sure it is a system, but it's a system. Um, the corporate organized expression. Here's what this system is. It's the corporate organized expression of self as the center. And this principle resides the beneath and the surface of fallen nature in general. So it's the system that at the core of it puts self at the center. Now, to be sure this is a system, I want you to look at one other text in the Bible. And I want to go to the book of Daniel. Now, we'll look at chapter 7 and verses 24 and 25. Because we're going to see this beast in Revelation 13 and this beast in Daniel 7. These two homies, they get along. Daniel's talking about what John is seeing now. So Daniel chapter 7. Starting in verse 24, here's what the Bible says. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise, and another will rise after them. And he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. He will speak out, here's a key, against the Most High, and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. And they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. So here's the thing that's that's very interesting. I want to tell you about this particular system. Remember, we said this beast is a religious system. This religious system merges with the political system. This is where we're getting that closer to what this mark is. And here's what these characteristics of the system are. There are three characteristics of the system. Write these down because I don't want you to miss it. I'm going to refer back to one. It's huge, particularly for us as Christian Seventh-day Adventists, even though I know that some of us might be from a different context. This is the one of which I work from. But here are the three characteristics of the system. It is a merit system of justification or salvation by works rendered to God in exchange for his favor. I want to read that again. That's the first thing about this system. It is a merit system of justification, salvation by works rendered to God in exchange for his favor. The second part about this system is it uses coercion tactics in the name of Christ. It'll use coercive methods in the name of Jesus Christ, right? That's what it's going to do. The third thing that this system also attempts to do is change God's law. That's what it wants to do. It wants to change God's law. So let's just be honest here. When we start to look at those three things, here's the thing that's very interesting. Coercion tactics, righteousness by works, and also this idea and concept of changing God's law. And when you put all that together, we think about the religious system. Of course, all of us know Roman Catholic Church and the papacy. And so immediately what we start to do is we look at some of the things that they have said and some of the things that they have done uh, absolutely unapologetically changing times and laws. No question. Yeah, we make sure we let you know in the catechism we are going to change the laws. We value tradition. Follow me now. We value tradition above scripture. We believe that you need to work certain things to get your salvation earned. So we always attach all of those things to the papal system. And so we say, cool, as long as we stay away from the papacy, as long as we stay away from that system, we're all good. And we're just going to sit back and we're going to wait for that system to merge with government and then enact all these crazy laws. But I want to read you this particular quote from one of my professors at seminary. Van, I think I got a better grade in this class than you. Uh, Jacques Ducan, Dr. Dr. Ducan. 
Here's what he says in his, in his book, Secrets of Revelation. We can see the fulfillment of prophecy in current religious developments, sociological, psychological, or even entertainment concerns are increasingly replacing the worship of God. And we even see efforts to standardize the day of worship for resigns of practicality or in an ecumenical stance of universal love and unity. But these, oh, watch this. This whole idea about days and all that stuff. These are just symptoms, he says. The mark of the beast implies more than a day or a form of worship. It also involves allegiance to the beast with all its potential for repression, conformity, and alienation from God. And so here's what I need you to hear, is that this idea of this system is not simply relegated to the papacy. This idea of the beast is not relegated to the papacy because any time an organization embraces righteousness by works over righteousness by faith, any time an organization views tradition and uses it over scripture, the principles of the beast are present and are there. And I'm gonna pause here and say something very, very uncomfortable. As I look back over the history at times of the people that we've run in, yes, even in this beautiful, incredible, wonderful organization, I have seen times where we have held tradition above scripture. I have seen times where we have been able to, 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 to be able to declare very clearly and unapologetically that you gotta do this in order to be saved. And here's the only thing I wanna tell you is that we've gotta be careful because remember, Babylon is not a place. This system is not just something we can avoid by being out of. But what I found is that there are beast-like tendencies in the people in the remnant church. And that's the problem. We've held so many times in our lives. Let's just keep this 100 tradition above this. That's the beast. That's the beast. We cannot try to make it seem that because we're not in that system, that it's sometimes that system is not in us. And this is not some kind of weird thing about the Masons creeping in and y'all trying to find symbols and all that stuff. It's just straight up. We at times have held tradition above scripture. You don't believe me? Here, here's how we go. Uh, wear a suit on Sabbath. That's tradition. That's not in the Bible. Talking about bring your best. Let me tell you how God describes our best. He says our best is filthy rags. It's ayah debagid. And if you really want to get close to that, ayah debagid simply means uh, a menstrual, a cloth that a woman uses to wipe herself on her menstrual cycle, during her menstrual cycle. That's what God says our best looks like. And we talking about bring your best. All kinds of stuff. Don't iron on Sabbath and, and don't do this and don't do that. Tradition that we teach as scripture. That's beast tendencies. That is beast tendencies. And every time that we do that, we are creating ourselves and setting ourselves up that if the more we are inclined to follow beast tendencies now, we will justify all kinds of behavior when this thing really begins to drop. Because we have just embraced it. But we're in the right denomination. But we're in the right day. And the whole time, just these principles of the beast and righteousness by works are just pouring into our lives. And we're living out. And that's why there have been so many of our children. Let's just keep it honest. Let's just be honest. So many of our children, that all the things that we have taught them, then when they started to read this for themselves, they said, wait a second. What y'all were telling me isn't in here. Because we've held tradition in a lot of ways above scripture. Um, 
one of the things I want to say that Ellen White has this incredible quote. I want to break this down to you. She says this, we have far more to fear from within than from without. The hindrances to strength and success are far greater from the church itself than from the world. Did y'all hear that? That's Review and Herald, March 22, 1887. She says the hindrances to the church is not Hollywood. We're talking about all oh, Hollywood and the influences of this and the influence of that. What Ellen White is saying is your problem is not what's happening around you. It's what's happening inside of us. That's what she's telling us. Uh, she continues. She says, whatever the papacy happens to be up to, the more crucial question is, what are we ourselves up to in our own daily dealings with one another in our homes, churches, and conferences? You see, what she's saying is, it, 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 we put so much energy and attention to this kind of stuff, the market of peace, oh, uh, you know, the papacy, and, and look at that, the market of peace is Sunday. I mean, I've even preached this thing, and people want to start talking about, you better call them out, and this is this, and this is that. And she's saying, hold up, if y'all spend as much time worried about the Pope and the papacy as you did your home, as you did your relationship with other people, as you did growing your church, she said the power of God would be manifested more like ever before. But we always want to look at the beast without, and she's saying the problem is the beast within. I wish she was done. But she continues to drive home this point. She said there is need of a much closer study of the word of God especially should Daniel and Revelation have attention as never before in the history of our work. We may have less to say in some lines in regard to the Roman power and papacy, but we should call attention to what the prophets and the apostles have written under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. So what she's saying is the more you study Daniel and Revelation, the less you have to say about Roman Catholics and all that different kind of stuff. She said, but if you spend time in the apostles and spend time in the prophets, it is then that you'll have a clear understanding of what it is that the Spirit of God is trying to do. I wish she was done, but she continues. The Holy Spirit has so shaped matters, both in the giving of the prophecy and in the events portrayed, as to teach that the human agent is to be kept out of sight, human agent is to be kept out of sight, hid in Christ, and the Lord God of heaven and his law are to be exalted. And here's what becomes so extremely important. The beast and this idea of the market beast, if you simply think it's because you go to church on a certain day, or because it's going to be a law that comes down that passes us, that makes us go to worship and do whatever it is on a certain day, then we have actually fallen directly into the trap of the enemy. Because then here's what we do. We just sit back and we think we're in the safety zone because the law ain't been passed yet. Now, some of y'all started getting crazy when they shut down our churches for COVID. And I got to tell you, they didn't shut down our churches outside of trying to keep us safe, particularly us as black folk. But we, we, we got nervous because we've connected so much of this beast and end-time prophecy to this idea of this day of worship. And so we think, I ain't got the mark, I ain't got no issue because I haven't gone here on this day. But if we are holding tradition above scripture, if we are in a habit of, of righteousness by works as opposed to righteousness by faith, 
It is then that we are embracing the characteristics of this beast. And why that becomes important is because the more that we embrace these different characteristics, is the easier it is when it shows up for us to continue doing what we've already been doing. Also, these coercion tactics that we use. I want you to think about it. Think about what some of the things that we've done, you know, to our children. Some of the things we've done to our children, if we try to coerce them into wanting to be a church. Even our school systems are set up that way. Go to worship in order to get credit. Like, go to worship for credit. That's co it's coercion. And if you don't, we'll give you a bad grade or we'll fine you. Like, that's not God. Like, God does not say, you better come or else I'm going to do this. But we try to coerce our people because we don't trust the spirit of God to move even on the students of our own campuses that without a worship credit, that they would just be so in love with Jesus that they would show up without credit. And if they won't show up without credit, the problem might not be them, but it might be the way that we're teaching them. The way that we're showing them to fall in love with Jesus. But every time we coerce and every time we force and every time we try to make them conform, it's just more of the beast because that's what the beast does. The beast says, worship me or else. And that's sometimes what we do. That's sometimes what we do. And that is not God. That's not what he has here laid out for us. What God's message is, is he says, I'm going to love you so hard. And I'm going to love you so much. And I'm going to take you just as you are. But I'm going to love you so much that I'm not even going to let you stay that way. As a matter of fact, you're going to be so deeply in love with me that when you see me and you see that you don't line up with me, you're going to open up your heart and say, God, just come in and start to search every single part of me. And God doesn't need to coerce you. He doesn't need to try to get you to earn that. He doesn't think that you can work your way through that. He says, no, I'm just going to love all over you. And when I love over you, it is then that I know you're going to surrender yourself to me. And the beast is not about love. It's about tradition. It's about dominance. It's about fear. It's about control. And I have to be honest with you, I just see too much of that in the way that we do our churches. Like sometimes if you think about it, with even the things that are happening with women's ordination, it's like, hey, y'all not in line with us? All right, cool. We're going to kick you out of this church. Y'all not in line with us? We're going to discipline you. Y'all don't do this? We're going to do that. It's, it, 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 it's horrible beast tendencies. But we think we're safe. So it's more than just a mark. It's more than just a day. It's a philosophy. It's a way of thinking. And even in the right place, we've embraced that thinking. And what God is trying to do is set us free from that thinking. And there are some of us who aren't in that place but that place is in us and God is trying to bring Babylon and the beast out of us. And not so much as worried about us going to the beast. So let me just say this last thing as we get ready to go. And JD, I'm not sure if I was able to, I know I gave you those things last minute, man, but I just want to pull um, a couple of those things up. Um, Ellen White says this is awesome. I love this. She says, justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity. As she says, justification by faith, faith, righteous by faith. The fact that our salvation comes simply through what Christ did and our acceptance of that. And when Christ comes into our life, it's then that our actions and all those different things begin to change. We don't do these actions to prove anything. She says this, um, Ellen White brilliantly said that justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity. I'm quoting uh, uh, from Ty Gibson right now. Here's what he says. Uh, justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity, is that the mark of the beast, listen to me, will come upon the world as a works 
base, self as center, liberty violating religious enforcement based on a false picture of God's character. Whereas the theology and experience of those who stand in resistance against the mark of the beast will lead them to do so precisely because they know God's favor is not earnable and that his law is not enforceable. In other, in other words, they understand that coercion kills love and that justification by faith is inextricably intertwined with the liberty of conscience. Now, I know there's a lot here, and I think there's these last quotes I'm going to pull up on the screen, then I'm going to get out of your way. Uh, JD, can you, can you throw those up, man? I can still just quote them, uh, even, even if you don't, if you don't have them. Perfect. Um, the thought that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, not because of any merit on our part, but as a free gift from God, is a precious thought. Y'all, that's a precious thought. And it's a thought the beast doesn't want you to have. I'm going to go to the next one. The enemy of God and man is not willing that this truth should be clearly presented. And, and I'm gonna stop there for a quick second because that's not what the beast is about. The righteousness by faith is about coercion and by works. So the enemy doesn't want this, this truth to be presented. And here's the reason why. For he knows that if the people receive it fully, his power will be broken. And I wanna stop there. Look at what she's saying, that the way that we break the power of the enemy is not by trying to work our way into heaven, but it's by embracing the fact that there is nothing that we can do to earn the salvation of Jesus. And the moment that we understand that, and the moment that we embrace that, the chains that are on our lives are broken because we've embraced that the battle is not ours, but it is God. Because we've embraced that there is nothing that I can do except sit back and say, Jesus, do it all in me. I give you permission to take all of my life. But chains are not broken when you're trying to work out your own salvation. They're just not. She continues. She continues. But this, I do know. Our churches are dying for the want of teaching on the subject of righteousness by faith in Christ and on kindred truth. She said, that's why we're dying. Uh, she continues, the, the preaching of Christ crucified has been strangely, she says, neglected by our people. It is this neglected part of the ministry which will be found uh, the great instrument in the conversion of souls and in leading to the high standard of holiness which every church needs in order to become a living church i gotta stop here for just a moment again y'all forgive me i promise i'm almost done but at the end of the day we don't need baptismal vows that tell us are you going to do this are you promising not to do that are you not going to smoke are you going to stay away from narcotics and do all that kind of stuff because you know we want to create this high standard of holiness she said no 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 if you just spent more time preaching Jesus Christ. You don't need a list because you got relationships. And when you're in relationship, people don't need a list because they see how their actions affect their relationship. But our problem and why our churches are dying is because we want to parade people out in front before they get baptized and read them a list to get them to a high standard of holiness. She says, you don't need a list. Just give them Jesus. Give them Jesus and his righteousness. Give them Jesus and his sacrifice. Give them Jesus and everything that he's done for them. Give them Jesus and his love. And watch how he takes that life and has it living holier than any church manual or any kind of list that we come up could ever give them. Give them Jesus and watch what happens. I've got a few more that I'm done. 
my burden, she says, during this meeting, conference of 1888, was to present Jesus and his love before my brethren. For I saw marked evidences that many had not the spirit of Christ. And we want the truth as it is in Jesus. I've seen, excuse me, I've seen precious souls who have embraced the truth have been turned away from it because of the manner in which the truth has been handled because Jesus was not in it. And this is what I have been pleading with you for all the time. We want Jesus. That's what she's begging us for. She says, we want Jesus. Two more, then I'm done. I love what Jonathan Edwards says. You contribute nothing to your salvation, but the sin that made it necessary. That's all you contribute to, the sin that made it necessary. And here's what it is in the end. Last quote, then I'm going to turn it, then we're going to land this plane. If you would gather together everything that is good and holy and noble and lovely in man, and then present the subject to the angels of God as acting a part in the salvation of the human soul or in merit, the proposition would be rejected in heaven as treason. Rejecting heaven as treason. So y'all, here's, here, here, here's Pastor, we saying all this to you. Ellen White says his final quote, and here's what it is. During 1888, she says this, if we had embraced righteousness by faith then, Jesus would have shown up already. But we haven't. We truly haven't. And why am I telling you this? And what does this have to do with the mark of the beast? Because the mark of the beast and his principles are in direct opposition to righteousness by faith in Christ. And you cannot have righteousness by faith and still keep the Sabbath. And you cannot have righteousness by faith and you cannot have a relationship with Jesus and be in the right denomination. And what I'm challenging you and encouraging you today, stop looking at the beast as a day simply of worship. And the mark of the beast is a day of worship. It's principles and ideologies and philosophies and a way of living that can get into each of our hearts. And the only way to prevent that from coming in is you first have to be filled. And you've got to be filled with the principles of the, of, the, of the fact and the truth that this Jesus that we're talking about in the book of Revelation, this Jesus whom prophecy has told us about over and over and over again, it is this Jesus that gave everything for you. And there's nothing you could do to take away from it. And there's nothing you could do to add to it. Here's all you can do. It's like, Jesus, I surrender all of me to you. And as I surrender all of me to you, I know that whatever comes forward, you're going to be able to take me through. And so don't wait for Trump to do something. Don't wait for a law to pass to say, oh, that's when the mark of the beast is going to take. No, no, it's happening even now. Even all those principles and philosophies. And the only way to get out of it is to keep Jesus at the center. And when he's at the center, there's no room for anything else. And so I don't know if there's any kind of buttons there or opportunities for someone to be able to connect, to give their life over to Christ. I'm just going to throw this out here. If there is, forgive me. Uh, if there isn't, go over to MountRubidoLive.com and click on the next steps button. And we're going to sign you up for some of our, our Bible studies. Starting point. If there's already one for the quarantine revival, we'll be able to do that. Don't worry. We baptize. Oh, good. There it is. There's one right there. The, core, the QRevival.com. There's a place for you to go there and be able to make a decision. And they'll connect you with some Bible studies. Uh, or, or maybe you want to be connected to a local church, even virtually. It doesn't matter. We, we can still disciple in this way. But we want you, if you have, have felt impressed today, to just say, God, I want to give it over to you. I, I need you inside so that these principles of the beast don't get inside me. So if that is you, if that is your desire, just go there. You see it right there on the bottom. Uh, just click on that link. We want you to sign up there, and we're praying for you. We're praying for you. Um, thank you, guys. Let's pray together tonight. Father in heaven, uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to just come. And God, we know.
that, that, that this thing is not simply about where we are. It's about who is in us, who is our allegiance to. And God, today, we just want to surrender all of ourselves to you. We just want all of us to be in you and, and all of you to be in us. We can't do it on ourselves. God, we know that you take us as we are, but you love us too much and let's stay that way. So I don't want anyone walking away from you saying, oh, just love Jesus and everything's okay. No, because when we're in relationship with you, we don't want to hurt the one that we're in love with. But that's not coercion. That's not beast. That's just love. And that's what this is about. It's about love versus what the beast is offering. And we can't continue and think that we can live beastly and then accept the love of God when all of a sudden we see a day or something pop up. Nah, we've got to reject all of that now. Anything that doesn't line up with scripture, we reject it. Anything that tries to force us, we reject it. No, no, no. Because you simply say, he who has an ear, let him hear. You say, uh, you know, come unto me, all ye that labor in a heavy burden. You say, come. It's an invitation. And so, God, we want to accept that invitation today. You never force our hand. You respect our freedom of choice. Even when we don't choose you. That's how much you love and care for us. And even when we don't choose you, you respect our wrong choices. And God, today, we, we give you our freedom of choice. But we say that, like, God, we give you our freedom of choice because, God, we, we need you to, to choose yourself in us. And so, Father, we love you, and I pray that this was able to hit somebody, touch somebody. May we move forward in confidence, knowing that he that shall come will come, and he will not tarry. So we love you, we praise you, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, and amen. I got to bring in Pastor Griffin. I got to bring in Dr. Doggett because that was a word that we needed in this season. You have a heightened level of spiritual sensitivity. It's very clear. Um, we are very, very appreciative for your faithfulness, and you delivered that powerful word. Dr. Doggett, as we prepare to pray over the man of God, because we like to do that here, Pastor Kelly, after the preacher preaches, we need to pray for the preacher. We're grateful that you poured out to yeah, us. We're going to pray for you. Yeah, yeah. But before we pray for you, um, and by the way, God has been holding that battery together. We've been praying. You got some <laughs> saints who are praying. Yeah, man. You long, <laughs> right, that's right. The, in me, the long preaching. That's the old in me. Oh, please. We needed that word. We wanted you to take your time. Dr. Dogger, talk to the man of God. Listen, I want to say this to you, Kelly. God is laid Make sure you put your mic. Am I good? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? You're, you're good. Okay, yeah. Kelly, God has laid his hands on you. He's laid his hands on you. And whether you wanted it or not, he's given you influence. You're a charismatic communicator. You are a convincing preacher. You're a transformational leader. You're a voice for these signs. And I want to tell you on tonight, it hit the bullseye. What you deliver tonight cannot be misunderstood unless someone tries to misunderstand the message. You preached about the heart of the gospel, which in fact is a relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. You did not preach some kind of cheap grace. In fact, you talked about what really brings a person around to genuine life change. And we know that's not a list. You also were exactly on point as it relates to the mark of the beast and the characteristics of the beast. You made it clear that we can be drunk inside of the house inside of the house. It's not a place, mm. but in fact, it is a mindset. Mm. And the toughest thing it seems to me in these days is for Christians, Seventh-day Adventist Christians, to give people freedom to work out their salvation with fear and trembling in place of the freedom that God gave. He's given us some rules. 
and we follow those rules because we love him. But in place of the freedom he's given us to work out our own salvation, people have made lists and rules and have determined who's saved and who's lost, who's really spiritual and who's not, based on some rules there's no text for. And I want to suggest that we trust God in handling the souls that belong to him and stop being coercive with our own personal brand of spirituality and our list of rules, which is nothing more than us carving our own images in stone. And we call them then laws, as though it's God speaking. You are on point, and I want you to never be bullied away from the position that you've articulated tonight because it was the voice of God speaking through you. Yeah, praise God, Pastor. I appreciate that. Praise God. Thank y'all yes, for having me, for real. Absolutely. Pastor Griffin, we need you to pray. Do you mind praying for your friend? Let's pray that God would pour back into him. Go ahead and pray. Thank you, Father, for the message that was preached with clarity and as we asked uh, with authority and power. And Father, because he was willing to empty himself out on you, I pray that you would not just fill him, but put some overflow in his life. Do some stuff in his life, Father, that he would only be able to look back and say, this is God and it's marvelous in my eyes. I pray, Father, that not only will you use him uh, as he continues on this journey to share the word, but may everything that he touches in your name bring glory to you. Father, all of the ideas that he has in his head to bring people closer to you, bring clarity of thought to his mind and Help him to be able to articulate the messages to his people in that area of the vineyard that this is the time to say yes to Jesus Christ. As he ministers the needs of the community, I pray, Father, that you would bless them in a, with abundance of so much that they can be a blessing to those who are standing in need. And thank you for not just the good ideas that you've given them so far during this COVID-19 period and the uh, thousands of people that they've ministered to at their church, but I pray, Father, that you would do some extraordinary stuff during this season. And may he continue to give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. Give Kelly longevity to share the word of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you again, Pastor Kelly. We're going to let amen. you go. God bless you, man. The people of God have received the word. Your faithfulness. Man, love you guys, man. Love you, Griff. Love you, boy. I'll see you in the thread. <laughs> All right. Well, bless you. Bless you. Dr. Dog and Pastor Griffin, what an amazing night we had tonight. Yeah. Uh, gonna... <laughs> you called it, Dr. Dog, and you said we had Pastor Griffin in the building and something special was going to happen. So we appreciate you, <laughs> Pastor Griff, for being here, Doc. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it was the, pre the privilege was mine, man. Tonight, man, I think we moved from tradition, man, to just the word of the Lord tonight. Now. Wow. <laughs> What what a shift, what a shift, what a shift. What we're going to ask for you to do, ladies and gentlemen, is if you don't mind, go ahead and share this stream. The light, you can, you can extend the life of this message on your social media platform by just pressing share. Somebody else needs to hear this word. This was one of those revolutionary messages that we will never forget. And we want to make sure that you let those with whom you're in connection receive this good word that God poured into us through his manservant, Pastor Michael Kelly. So press that share button. And again, if you want to give, you can go over to the Cash app and you can use the money sign, the Q Revival. Sow your seed there. 
Use it at PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the Q Revival. And again, you can use www.theqrevival.com and you can use your card, debit card, credit card there. And 100% of what you give will go toward helping those who are in financial crisis. You all have blessed uh, people with over one, over $8,000 thus far. And we're saying thank you for being God's hands and feet during this season and during this time. Final words, Dr. Doggett and Pastor Griff. You have anything that you want to say as we're preparing to play our outro? Well, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, deliver me from beast tendencies. Help us, God. Hey. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That was- what was echoing through my mind was, in fact, uh, relate a love relationship with God is all that's really needed. I don't need all the rules that others have made for my life. They can hold on to their list. Let me just get tight with Jesus and whatever he says, I'm with it because he's my guy. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, listen, bless you. We love you guys. Thank you so very much for coming through. And Pastor Griff, we're going to have to get you to come back again. We got a little bit more time. So thank you again for coming through. And y'all, we will see you when we see you.